0: Sarah News. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: The Bible says the soul that sins, it shall die. Have you ever sinned? Then if God gave you justice, you'd die. I'd die. The moment we violate one of God's laws, God has every right to kill us on the spot without any questions, and He would be absolutely just in doing so.
2: What if God did choose to immediately kill everyone who failed Him? We would all be dead pretty soon, wouldn't we? I'm glad God is patient. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is guiding us through an in-depth study in the first three chapters of the book of Romans. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he has been serving for over 26 years. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 2. Paul had just cautioned us in verse 4 that we should not think lightly of God's patience. It gives us an opportunity to repent. Now here is Pastor Steve to explain.
1: Verse 4 has been ringing in my heart all week long. It is one of the deepest... Most profound verses in all the Bible. It speaks of the goodness of God towards mankind. Theologians call this, this general goodness towards all people, whether you're saved or lost, as common grace. What is common grace? Let me give you some illustrations. God doesn't owe his creatures anything. Do we understand that? God doesn't owe us anything. When Adam and Eve sinned, God had every right to execute judgment right then and there and to send them to hell, but he didn't. That's common grace. And common grace is what every person experiences today. The fact that you and I are not in hell this very moment, paying for our sins is a demonstration of God's common grace. Did you have a nice breakfast this morning? I did. That's common grace. We don't deserve that. Do you have a nice home to go to or even a home to go to? That's common grace. Do you have a family who greets you at home or who calls you up on the telephone or someone who will get in touch with you next week? That's common grace. Are you in reasonably good health? That's common grace. Are you alive today? Shake your head if you're, no, you don't have to. That is common grace. All of that is under the heading of common grace. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45, he says that the, that the rains come upon the just and the unjust. It's common grace. God is so good to man, he gives you the breath to live each day, friends to make, clothes to wear, a job to have, a church to fellowship with. That is common grace. He gives us continual opportunities to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, and that is the heart of verse 4. That is really the thought behind verse 4. Look at verse 4 again. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. Do you know what to think lightly means? It means to look down upon, to despise, to look down upon it, to look down upon God's rich kindness towards man as something he deserves and not something he gets his grace. Man thinks that he deserves this. It's coming to him. In fact, he wants to know why there isn't more of it. Keep in mind, Paul is specifically referring to the Jew. Has God been kind to the Jew? The word kindness means moral goodness. Has God shown that kindness, that goodness to the Jewish people? He chose them. He's watched over them. He's promised them a kingdom. In the Old Testament, he gave them blessing after blessing of of physical blessing. He gave them his law. He sent them kings. He sent them prophets. And finally, he sent them the Messiah. God has been very kind to Israel. What about forbearance? You know, in classical Greek, this word was used of a holding back, a delaying. And it's the picture as if the Lord had lifted up one arm, one arm, one hand with the thunderbolt of his wrath against man. And yet that other that other arm, that other hand grabbed it and restrained it. That's forbearance. It means a truce. It means God is holding back his wrath. What is right arm is is. Up to do, his left arm grabs and says, wait a minute, that's forbearance. Has God been forbearing to Israel? Yes, he has. The fact that God hasn't wiped Israel and every nation off the face of the earth for their rebellion towards him is proof of his forbearance. And what about patience? It means he's slow in avenging wrongs. Has God been slow in avenging wrongs? Just look through the Old Testament. Has God been slow in avenging the wrongs that Israel has done towards him? Absolutely How did the Jewish people despise the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience? They thought they deserved it. They thought it was coming to them. They thought they were the, the favorites of heaven. They took his mercies for granted as if they had it coming to them. Now, lest we sit back in judgment and say how horrible, how terrible, I'll tell you, it's not just the Jewish problem, it's a human problem. It's a human perspective. All of mankind struggles with this. We all, to one degree or another, despise the kindness, forbearance, and patience of God. Now, in the time remaining, I'm going to cover something. We'll probably have to pick it up the next time we study Romans. But I, I want to cover something. I don't want you to turn your minds off. Something that is deep, something that is profound, but something that is missed by most people. Most of us, at one time or another, despise the kindness of God, his mercies. I want you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. Have you ever read in Genesis 19 that Lot's wife turned around and she was turned into a pillar of salt? You ever read that? Wondered, what's happening? In Genesis 19, verses 15, non, when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your daughters, who are here, and, and lest you be swept away in the punishments of the city. The angels came to Sodom, wicked place, filled with homosexuality. God said, I'm going to destroy this place. He said, Lot, get up, take your family, get out of here. Lot gave him some arguments, said, well, I can't go to the mountains, I'll be destroyed there, let me go here, and so forth. But the angels said, verse 17, it came about when they had... Brought them outside. They said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Don't look behind you. Now, the angels speak forth God's word. Don't look behind you. Simple. We could have figured that out. Don't look behind you means don't look behind you. But look at verse 26. But his wife from behind him looked back. She became a pillar of salt. You ever read that? You ever wonder, what kind of a God is that? What kind of a God would turn someone into a pillar of salt just because she looked behind? Is that a loving God? Is that the same God of the New Testament? What kind of a God is that? Turn to the New Testament. We're going to answer that. Turn to the New Testament. Acts chapter 5. Story of Ananias and Sapphira two people in the early church at Jerusalem, these two people were so impressed that everybody in the church was selling land that they had it and giving it to the apostles and said, look, you use it for the Lord's work and so forth. We just lay it out your feet and whatever you see fit, you use it. These two people said, we have some land. Verse one, but a certain man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. That was fine. Nobody forced him to do that. And they kept back some of the price for himself. Which is okay, too, except, I mean, they didn't have to give all of it to the Lord, except they told the Lord that they'd give it all to him. And they told the church that they'd give it all, that this was all the money that they got from it. With his wife's full knowledge, and they and bring a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Should have brought all of it when you said you're going to bring all of it. Nobody forced him into it. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down, breathed his last. Great fear came upon all who heard of it. And then his wife came in a little bit later. She did the same thing. She died. Say, what kind of what kind of God is this? One lie, and you're through. You're gone. Woman turns back, she's turned into a pillar of salt. One lie, you're killed on the spot. What kind of a God is this? Now there are many incidents like this in the Bible. Especially in the Old Testament. God wiped out the Canaanites, God wiped out other civilizations. Men, women, children, wiped out just doesn't seem to fit our picture of a loving, gracious, kind, merciful God. In fact, that's why so many liberal theologians have concluded that the Bible presents two gods. You ever hear that? They say, look, the Old Testament God is the God of wrath. The New Testament God is the God of love. Totally false. Absolutely false. There's one God. And how do we reconcile the fact that Lot's wife turns around and becomes salt, and Ananias and Sapphira lie, and they're struck down dead? But David commits adultery and murder, and he goes on living. And Ahab and Jezebel mock God for years before God deals with them in judgment. How do we reconcile that? I'll tell you. The answer is that every one of us sitting here today deserves the judgment of God right now. Right now. None of us deserves to walk through the the doors and out into the street. None of us. The Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall die. You, have you ever sinned? Then if God gave you justice, you'd die. I'd die. The moment we violate one of God's laws, God has every right to kill us on the spot without any questions, and he would be absolutely just in doing so. Well, watch this. For the most part, he doesn't do that, does he? We'd all be in trouble if he did that. Ever lied to the Lord? I have. It's only by God's mercy that I'm alive. You ever said you're going to do something for him that you didn't do? Sure you have. How come he didn't kill you like he did Ananias and Sapphira? All they did was lie. They didn't go out and commit adultery. They didn't do the abominable things of Romans 1. They lied. Same thing that you and I have done in the past. How come he didn't kill you like he did Ananias and Sapphira? Because he chose to display his kindness, forbearance, and patience towards you and towards me. Here's what I'm saying. For the most part, God has treated humanity with mercy by not killing them the moment they've sinned. But throughout human history, he gives us, now watch this, glimpses just glimpses here and there of his justice by dealing in righteous judgment with certain individuals. You say, that's not fair. That's God's prerogative. God will choose who he will deal with in judgment. And they are illustrations to us. They are glimpses of the way God should deal with all of us if he just carried out his justice. Lot's wife and Ananias Sapphira are illustrations how he would deal with every one of us if he carried out his justice and gave us what we really deserved. Folks, the real question to ask isn't why does God kill a person who sins? It's why does God allow any of us to live? See, we've got it backwards. We've got it backwards. And the answer is found in the end of verse four. You know why? You know why he doesn't kill us immediately? Not knowing. Don't you know that the kindness of God leads you To repentance. You know why he he lets us live? He withholds judgment from us so that we'll recognize how good he is, how kind he is, how patient he is, and we'll respond to him in salvation. That's why. That's the reason. In other words, his mercy and withholding judgment. me ought to drive me to turn from my sin and acknowledge how good god has been to me and not killing me for my sin do you see that when i recognize that god is kind he's merciful he's he's gracious it ought to cause me instead of thinking that i'm getting away with all this it ought to cause me to say oh i shouldn't have gotten away with this but god is so good i better turn to him right now but we don't repent do we which means change your mind doesn't mean go in a corner and weep for your sin it means change your mind Instead, we tread upon his kindness, how? By thinking God is unjust to take anyone's life. You ever thought that? How could God do that? The question is, how come God doesn't do that with all of us? We are so used to mercy and grace that we think justice is being unjust. Do you understand what I mean? We've got it all turned around and we're just like the Jew who says, God's never going to judge me. Because he hasn't judged me to this point. And God is saying, look, the reason I haven't judged you to this point is not because I'm not just, but because I'm merciful and I'm giving you a chance to repent. And when you see my mercy and kindness and forbearance and patience, you want to fall on your knees and humble your heart and submit to me that I've been this kind to you for so long. When you read of the severe judgments of God, it ought to make you grateful and thankful that God has has been merciful to you thus far. And it ought to lead us to repentance. See, we usually acknowledge that God is good when what? Something nice happens to us, right? You know, you get a check in the mail, you buy a new car, something, someone's been kept from an accident, you say, oh, isn't God good? Truth of the matter is God's good whether those things happen or not. God is just good, and the proof of that is that you're still alive, and I'm still alive. Back to Romans 2. The Jews of Paul's day thought they could escape the judgment of God because God hadn't dealt in judgment with them yet. But Paul assures them that's only the case because God has been kind to them. But if they don't recognize God's goodness to them and bow their wills and their hearts before him in submission, the judgment of God will someday surely strike them. Look at verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The judgment of God is guaranteed. That's what he's been saying all along. It will come. But right now, it's merely suspended. God's right hand is up with that thunderbolt of wrath, ready to strike. His left hand has grabbed hold and says, wait, wait. God has suspended his judgment right now. And why won't men respond to the judgment of God? Stubbornness and unrepentant hearts It's the bottom line. In fact, the word stubborn means is the Greek word from which we get our... Our English word, sclerosis, sclerosis means hard, stubborn, stiff. Hardening of the arteries may take you to an early grave, but as someone has said, the hardening of the heart spiritually will take you to hell. If you continue to reject God's mercy and grace and continue to tread upon it and discard it and say it's not there, God is unjust, God is not right, and you don't see that he's merciful and loving and kind and that doesn't cause you to run to him, then you store, the Bible says in verse 5, you store up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. What is the day of wrath? The day when God is going to judge mankind after the millennial kingdom called the great white throne judgment by the Lord Jesus Christ. He will judge every person who's never accepted him. You see, we store up more of God's wrath. You pile, this is what verse 5 means, it means to treasure it, to pile it, pile more and more until one day the, at the great white throne judgment, His wrath is gonna break loose on you. It's like a dam that's, that's just can't, it's just filled to the top and it's gonna break forth. My friends, every day you reject God's mercy and aren't converted to Christ, you add a drop to the, to the reservoir of God's wrath. And someday that patience and kindness and mercy and forbearance will end. Don't be deceived. And that is is exactly what Paul is saying. It is a great deception. Don't be deceived. It is an illusion. Don't be deceived. God may not judge you now. But don't interpret that to mean that things are fine. They're not. That God won't judge you now doesn't mean that he will never judge you, it just means he's been merciful. When you recognize that, it ought to lead you to the Lord because it ought to lead you to see how sinful you are and how good he is. And that's what salvation is all about. I recognize that I deserve the judgment of God, but I recognize that he's loving and merciful and kind. And I flee to him, because why? At Calvary's cross, Jesus Christ bore our judgment. At Calvary's tree, God struck down his own son so that he doesn't have to strike us in wrath. See, it's ironic. God's goodness ought to lead us to repent. Instead of interpreting it to mean that you don't need to repent. See, that's the irony of it of these two verses, especially verse 4. God's goodness ought to lead us to repent instead. Many interpret this to say, I don't need to repent because judgment hasn't come already. By the time you wake up, it'll be too late. Someone has said this. Remember, if the goodness of God toward you is not leading you to repentance, then every day, every hour you live drops another drop into the terrible treasure of indignation, which will burst the great dam of God's long suffering in the great day of wrath when God shall reveal His righteous judgment. Will you go on despising the kindness of God? I hope not. I hope not. I hope you realize that God doesn't have to be merciful to any of us, but he is. If you're without Christ, this may be the last day that God is holding back his mercy from you or holding back his judgment rather from you. You don't know how long you have. There may not be some of you here next next Sunday. You may be ushered into eternity. Why God is merciful. While there's still time, the Bible says harden, not your hearts if you flee to the Christ of Calvary you'll be delivered from judgment why because the judgment of god is already struck there so there's a message for christians let's be let's be be thankful let's be gracious let's be let's be appreciative of god's mercy and kindness but the real message here the real message is that if you're without christ and there are some The sound of my voice who are without Christ, then flee to him because you need God's grace in salvation. Judgment is inevitable. It is guaranteed. Either you believe that Christ bore your judgment and be delivered from that judgment or else you bear that judgment yourself for all of eternity in the lake of fire. Let's bow for prayer. These are never easy messages to bring. They sound so harsh so unloving, so cruel, but remember it. Remember the love of God is behind this. Remember that Paul doesn't stop with Romans chapter 2. He goes on to Romans 3, which speaks that God has provided a way out. You see, as I said last week, it's only someone who loves you who will tell you the truth. God has told you the truth. The truth is that judgment is inevitable. Will you believe the word of God? Or will you go on being deceived by hypocrisy? That's up to you. If you'd like to trust Christ, you can trust him where you are. You can trust him at home. You can trust him driving in your car. You can believe that Christ has died for your sins and and depend on him for your eternal salvation. But if we can be of help to you, we have counselors up at the front after the service who will speak to you and give you guidance from the Bible. Avail yourselves of them. They're your servants. They're waiting to help you. Father, I pray that you'll help us to have the right perspective to understand that God is so merciful. And these glimpses of of judgment in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament should not deceive us. They're just illustrations and glimpses of what we all deserve. If you dealt with every one of us that way, you'd be perfectly just and righteous, but you don't. You're so kind so gracious. I pray that you'd help us not to tread upon that, not to tread upon your mercies, not to call justice being unjust, but to take every day and every moment you give us as a display of your kindness. Take these words, take your word, and apply it in the depths of our being. For we pray this in Christ's name,
2: amen. Amen. What a gift we have been offered. Rescue from the judgment that we so richly deserve. The writer of Hebrews said it well. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Please don't take lightly God's patience and mercy. No one knows how much longer it will last. We hope today's class was enlightening for you. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily Bible classes of the air are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. It's a faith ministry made possible through the gifts and prayers of listeners like you. To listen again to today's class, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. We have not only today's broadcast, but many previous ones as well. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today was the conclusion of a two part message. You can hear the entire message without announcements on CD or cassette if you would like to order one. Call us at 727 441 1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. The number again is 727 441 1714. How many ways are there to get to heaven? Some people say there are lots of ways. God's Word does not say there are lots of ways. In a perfect world, there would be two ways. But as Paul has established here in Romans, this is far from a perfect world. God has many reasons to judge us. Pastor Steve will be sharing some of them next time on Verse by Verse.
0: times we're not in position for our breakthrough because when we should be sitting and serving we're searching the blessings of god will chase you down so you've got to be in position and say you know what i'm gonna settle myself i'm gonna serve god
1: faith talk
2: 570 and 910 wtbn